Welcome to Leaders and Learners. My name is Tanya McKenzie, and you can find me at the intersection of public relations and leadership. Join us as we talk to organizational leaders, elected officials, experts, authors, artists, and personalities sharing their stories, talking about how they got to where they are and how they continue to learn and lead the way. So without further ado, let's get into it. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Leaders and Learners, where we all know that the best leaders are lifetime learners. Uh, I'm going to learn a lot today with y'all. Um, I'm glad you're here. This is a little exciting to me. I love history. You know, I love true stories. Well, as a publicist, PR professional, true stories are our bread and butter. Um, but for you, you get to learn a lot from, from history, from people's true stories, and uh, I got a good one for you today. One you probably didn't know uh, even existed. So I'm not sure how much you know about the history of paramedics, but I got something for you. I'm going to read this to you and then I'm going to bring on our guest. So pardon me while I show my age and my limited eyesight. So listen, until the 1970s, if you'd been shot or had a heart attack, your chances of survival was slim. In most places, a call for help brought either the police or the undertakers in a hearse. But that all changed with Freedom House, the world's first paramedics who proved that medicine could be practiced in the back of an ambulance. In return for their efforts, they were erased from history. Now, that probably sounds familiar to you. Why on earth would they be erased from history? Why don't we know more about the history of paramedics? Oh, maybe it has something to do with the people that were a part of that history. So without further ado, I'm gonna bring on Mr. John Moon and Mr. Kevin Hazard, who wrote an amazing piece. Uh, I don't know if you can see it, American Sirens. So I'm so glad you guys are here. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and I want to get right into it for the people. Mr. Hazard, let us know why you wrote this book. Give them a little background about who you are and what uh, got in you to write this book and tell this story. Thanks for having us. Um, you know, I was a paramedic for 10 years, and that was an incredibly informative decade for me all through my 20s and early 30s. And, you know, I thought I understood how this thing began. You know, I when my instructor was one of the first paramedics in the state of Georgia, and you know, so I I, I was aware that there had been, um, you know, people coming in hearses, and I was aware that there was it was a stretch of time where if you called for help, the people who arrived at your house were going to have little to no training. What I was not aware, however, was was how we got from that point to today. There there, there was this gap, and of course, the people who who filled that gap were the people of Freedom House, and. I had written a book about my experiences as a paramedic, um, a memoir called A Thousand Naked Strangers. And somebody who read it reached out to me and said, hey, have you ever heard of Freedom House? And I hadn't because, of course, almost nobody had. And so I just started researching it. And as again, as someone who did this profession, whose life was shaped by this profession, um, I felt that this piece of history was not only important to everybody, but it was really important to me. It was a critical part of, of my life. And I wanted to bring it to the world. Definitely appreciate that. So the story that you told is really about Mr. Moon, yeah? 
I mean, look, John plays a huge role in it. You know, there are there are three principal characters in this story, um, but the heart of the story is the freedom, the people of Freedom House. And you know, I used John as as an example of of those people. Good enough, Mr. Moon. Let us know a little bit about yourself and how you got to a place where someone would even want to write a story about you because you didn't tell your own story. It took someone else to tell your story. So I, I want to get into that too, because clearly it was incredibly significant. And I don't think we always recognize what we're doing is important um, until someone else says, hey, that that did something to me. So let us know a little bit about you, where you're from, your paramedic. Well, thank you for uh, inviting me on, Tanya. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be here. Um, my story is kind of unique because uh, I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, my mother passed uh, when I was five years old and my father uh, from today had to make the ultimate sacrifice uh, because he couldn't take care of my sister and myself. So he placed us in an orphanage and we stayed there uh, until from 1957 until 1963 uh, when I was adopted by a family, which I didn't know I had here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, I was brought here um, in June of 1963 and was raised uh, by a family that uh, it was kind of traumatic because I'd never been used to being in a family environment. So I kind of had to adjust to that, which was uh, rather difficult at times. But as I grew older, uh, I found myself being more resilient and more determined than I'd ever been. So I went to high school and uh, graduated from there in 1968 and uh, went to college for a couple of years and I really was trying to find myself. Uh, and I found myself as a, a hospital orderly um, at Montefiore Hospital in Pittsburgh. And I was there for about four or five years. and. Uh, I wasn't really satisfied because I always felt there was more I could do for patients. And uh, I just happened to run across two paramedics from Freedom House. And the way they conducted themselves primarily was uh, just astounding to me. The uh, command that they conducted themselves, the professionalism. And I just had to get that job. And uh, no sooner than they left, I went on a mission to try and find out where Freedom House was located. And I went there and uh, applied. Uh, the first time I wasn't uh, re accepted because they didn't think I was qualified. Uh, so I went back and got some more training and went back and uh, applied a second time. And uh, as they say, uh, the rest is history because I was hired on the spot. What were your early days uh, on the job like? Quite unique. Uh, actually, I was... I would say I was blessed to work with a group of people uh, who uh, life didn't really throw them uh, good things. Uh, we weren't all born with silver spoons in our mouths and things like that, but we were determined to uh, make the best of a situation. And our goal was to provide the community in which we all lived, uh, the majority of us, which was the Hill District of Pittsburgh, the best possible medical care 
uh, known at that particular time because unfortunately we had to rely solely on the police to transport you back and forth to hospitals. Uh, so uh, the Hill District was what we would call an underserved community and uh, we had to do something about that. Uh, so as a result of that, uh, a group of individuals got together. Alcohol played a significant role in, in your life. I want you to talk about that. Uh, growing up in Atlanta, um, during that time in the 60s, um, the drug of choice, unfortunately, was moonshine. And uh, I was four or five years old at that time. And a lot of the time I spent outside playing was underneath the eaves of uh, the homes then, which were up on uh, blocks, concrete blocks. And oftentimes that's where they hid their moonshine. And unfortunately, my mother uh, became addicted to alcohol and subsequently uh, overdosed uh, from alcohol. And uh, she died in the bed with myself and my sister lying right next to us. Uh, we didn't know it at the time because we were too young, but uh, my father took us out of the bed and sent, her to, sent us to a neighbor's home. And uh, that's where we stayed until they I removed my mother's body to a funeral director. What did that do to you uh, as a young person? And then how did it affect you in your adulthood, particularly in the profession you were in? Well, as a young child, um, needless to say, it was rather traumatic. Uh, but for whatever the reason, I was able to kind of uh, endure that. Um, and went on to, um, once I was placed in the orphanage, uh, they instilled on me a survival of the fittest type of mentality. And uh, what it did for me as an adult, it, it showed me uh, how I could, you know, display a lot more compassion for individuals that uh, had any type of, whether it was a medical problem, whether it was drug addiction, whether it was alcohol, uh, it kind of gave me a heart for people. I think there is a level of um, compassion that obviously goes into the work that you do as a paramedic that others don't get to experience. Talk about some of the most impactful moments that you had as a paramedic. Well, there are many, uh, Tanya. Uh, one particular one that sticks out in my mind is a particular call that I went on um, where a gentleman had collapsed on the sidewalk in, oh, downtown Pittsburgh. Uh, and I couldn't get to him. He was on the other side of a chain link fence, but it was on a bridge. And the only thing that separated uh, the bridge sidewalk and myself was the river. So common sense would tell you if you climb a 10 foot high chain link fence, uh, to climb back down. And unfortunately, uh, common sense didn't prevail at that time. And I jumped uh, 10 feet down onto a three foot wide sidewalk. And unfortunately, if I'd have missed, I'd been in the water. So yeah, so you're a hero without a cape. That's Absolutely. <laughs> okay, got it. Listen, I think the work that you did was incredible. Uh, but I do want to know why, Kevin, you decided that this was the story you wanted to write about. Because I'm assuming 
one, how did, why would someone even bring it to you to write about it? Why do they think that you would even be interested in it? And then what would make you really want to write about it? Because those out there that are not authors, you might not understand. It's, it's tough to finish a book. Like writing a book is not easy. And getting to the conclusion of it, doing all the things that go along with being an author um, takes a lot of work and determination. But there was something obviously about this story, um, about the history of this profession that gave you the tenacity to get this done. I mean, I would say if you looked at how it came to me, I think somebody was simply, you know, asking, Hey, have you ever heard of, of, of these guys? Have you ever heard of freedom house? Um, I don't know that, you know, whoever sent that email, um, had any idea that, that I was going to pursue it the way that I did. But the fact is the moment I started looking into it, I realized how rich this story was. Um, I mean, on the one hand, it, it's the birth of, of something that we all rely on every single day that quite literally keeps us alive. And on the other hand, it's peopled by this this organization that has this incredible history um, that, that that all come from such a very interesting and intriguing place that each of them, you know, have their own stories that are so detailed and so you just you couldn't turn it down. And at, at each turn in, in my research, I came across another person whose story was so incredibly fascinating. So it wasn't just you know, the actions of what they did or the history of what they did, but it was the people involved. And of course, you know, it's, it's always the people that make a great story. And, you know, this has by any measure, you know, all the things you look for in a great American story, you know, with the underdogs, you know, triumphing over this, you know, incredible adversity. That I need that. I'm sorry, you, you broke up for just impact, a second. The most impactful part of the book for you? What chapter, what story, what really got at you? Um, honestly, I, I think the, the conversations about um, John were truly fascinating about, about how he, he became who he became through high school and in his later years. Um, those conversations where he was sitting with his parents and you know just, just seeing how people in this neighborhood how African-Americans were trying to decide how they were going to proceed. You know, this generational divide was very fascinating. And the more I, I talked to John about that, the more, you know, I, I, I just became drawn to the story. But for each person who entered this field, they all had a, a moment in which they saw paramedics for the first time. And that inspiration and realizing that this is something that I can do to help change the world. This is something that I can do that the world will not be able to ignore. Um, that to me, really is the heart of the story. John, I learned from writing my own story. There are there are times in our life that get hard to reflect upon. What was the most difficult uh, story or conversation that you had to have um, with Mr. Hazard about your life and your story that really kind of gave you pause or or left you, you know, with one of those serious moments of reflection? Well, that's a, a great uh, point. Uh, it was uh, once I started uh, retracing my childhood uh, with Kevin. And oftentimes when you have trauma in your life, uh, you, you have a tendency to push it to the back of your mind and you move forward. But in speaking with Kevin, I had really 
never had an opportunity to kind of share that part of my life with anyone. So it was a hidden part of me that uh, no one really knew about uh, except uh, my adopted parents. So it was a matter of bringing all of the memories of being in Atlanta and growing up there and, and, and not having that kind of caused me to reflect back on my life. And um, it, it was a very emotional point, even though I didn't share it with Kevin, it, it really was as I began to read the book, it brought tears in my eyes, believe it or not. Was it the part about your mother or something else? It was the whole component of my life in general, uh, from my mother's passing until uh, being placed in an orphanage uh, for which we went to visit twice. And the first time we got there, our father took us back home. And uh, the second time we thought the same thing was going to happen. And uh, we got concerned because he hadn't called us. So we went looking for him and only to find out that he was gone. And we had to adapt uh, to that environment to the point that this was our new home that we had never been prepared for. One of the conversations that you hit on, actually the first part that I read, is the fact that this history is not told. It's not out there. You actually had to go do the work and do the research. Um, why do you think that this is something that's not talked about regularly? Or, or it's hard to find. Like, what is it about this history that, you know, isn't widely told and shared? Well, one of the, the reasons, uh, and you alluded to it earlier, is who it's composed of. And, and we can't deny that fact. And I, I, I simply go back to uh, once uh, Freedom House was consumed by the City of Pittsburgh Emergency Medical Services, uh, even though we had an agreement with the city that every employee was to be employed by the city, Unfortunately, um, the city kind of reneged on that deal uh, and they were successfully uh, able to eliminate, I would say, 85 to 90 percent of the people that came over from Freedom House. So in my mind, uh, if you eliminate the people that are a component of that historical perspective, you essentially eliminate the history. And unfortunately, that was uh, from my opinion. Uh, the intent when we went to the city of Pittsburgh. Wow. Um, Mr. Hazard, I want to get your thoughts on that. I don't think it's an accident that this particular history is not well known. Um, you know, we have watched Tom Hanks go to the moon 50 times, and yet uh, none of us were aware of the story behind the hidden figures until the movie came out. There are certain people that we... Um, we choose to focus on. There are certain types of stories that we choose to tell. And, you know, quite frankly, most of those stories have centered around white people. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's just a reality of, of how we have retold our, our history, but that's beginning to change in the last few years. I think people have opened their eyes to um, both the potential and the need for, for, for all stories to be told, not just some stories. And we're getting a broader context of, of American history in general, but, you know, it's it's part of a pattern that's going on for quite some time. All right. So recently in the news, uh, they were talking about Ron DeSantis has decided that a 
you know, void uh, figures in our history that help us. I think his story, Mr. Moon's story helps us understand how we even got to this point, what it was like before that. So I want to get your thoughts on why that is. Can you guys hear me? I can hear you. Okay, I, I can't hear. I, I've heard caught some of that. Not all that. I, I I apologize. Um, if we're going to talk about this this ridiculous CRT thing, I I, I think I, I I generally don't understand the parameters of the conversation. Um, it, whatever that term may or may not mean, aren't we really just talking about history? And if you're going to teach history, why would you not teach what happened? Um, you know, if, if what happened in 1967 was uh, 24 young men who, who by design were black became the world's first paramedics, then that's a story you tell about how paramedicine was born. And if in 1975, the city of Pittsburgh chose to shut down that service because it did not want to be represented on the world stage by 24 young black men, then that's a story you should tell. It may make people uncomfortable, and I don't think it diminishes everybody as a whole, I think, to understand where we've been and what Americans have gone through makes us, you know, makes all of us better and stronger going forward. So I genuinely don't understand the argument, this, you know, this, this argument that people make where only certain versions of history should be told or anything of a particularly, of a particular type of controversy should be either sidestepped or avoided. What do you think, for you, the toughest part of this book was what was the hardest part um, for you to to write to you know narrate um, in your words? I think the hardest part was conveying um, the sense of of honor and duty that people felt coming into this. Um, you know each each person who who did this they they you know they were here for a very specific reason and you know more than anything what they wanted to do was serve their community there was a larger story that was taking place around them but that's not necessarily what woke them up every morning you know they knew that they were serving a vital service to their community and conveying that sense that they had of of honor and duty and how they performed it with such incredible grace um you know that was it's a truly remarkable thing. And I, I felt a tremendous amount of pressure to tell their story correctly. And so that to me was, that was the hardest part of trying to convey the story was to, to get um, the gravity of what they had done across clearly. So you and Mr. Mr. Moon didn't know each other before this book project, right? No, I called him up out of the blue and John was gracious enough to answer and, uh, and continue answering and, and, you know, answer 10,000 calls over the course of, of many years. Oh my God. So what is your relationship like now? I mean, I have to ask because I think, um, you know, what stories do to us as Americans, as citizens, um, as readers, as learners, like talk to me about what your relationship is like now, someone you didn't know before you um, took on this project. Um, you know, my view of John is, uh, you know, a sort of, um, 
you know, both both friend, um, mentor, and and as as someone who you know uh, who who came before me, you know, forebear of what I did, and and for whom I have a tremendous amount of respect. I was not aware when we first started that he was going to tell me things he had not yet told his children. Mm. So, you know, I, I felt a tremendous amount of responsibility, but that, that trust that we built over all these conversations, which he's not going to tell me, you know, these per important and, and very personal details without first building trust, that trust over time translates into, you know, a certain amount of respect and friendship that, you know, um, that is endured. And thankfully him having read the book, you know, I'll, I'll let John answer, but he, I, I think he he looked at the end product, um, and I think he he would agree that the uh, that the trust he placed in me has been rewarded. John, and 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 you're absolutely right, Kevin. I I didn't have a clue as to how the book was going to turn out uh, from the very beginning. I, I was looking for a pamphlet or something or, or something of a magazine quality, but once I got a copy of it and saw all this information, I was really uh, in awe. And, and you know, it, it's amazing because it wasn't difficult for me to, to instill that level of trust uh, mm. into Kevin. Uh, it was very easy because I think he hit on something that was very near and dear to my heart. And that was to get the history of Freedom House out to the world. And uh, once he explained to me that that was his initial goal, uh, and it took us four or five years to put all this together, uh, I was definitely on board. And it was relatively easy for me to start talking to him and answering his phone calls and made sure that, you know, I didn't miss any, but it was a joy to, to really work with him because he kind of uh, brought into focus what my mission was, but I didn't have a way to do it. So I have that most uh, upper up level of respect for him uh, in taking on this challenge. As contentious as things are in our society now, it has always been a part of me to believe that we have more in common than we have different. Other than um, just being in the same profession, what did you realize that you um I, I can't speak for John. Uh, I'll let I'll let him get into what he, what he thinks he might have in common with me. But you know, I uh, you, you listen to someone's story, you know, and I, I did not grow up in the neighborhood that John grew up in. Um, my my family situation was slightly different, but you, you know, you're you're listening to a guy talk about how he was four years old and hiding underneath the porch and watching the world go by you know, we've all been in some way or another sort of, you know, little kids kind of sitting back trying to make sense of what was happening around us, which is, you know, kind of what is, is what that is. But then moving through, you know, listening to him tell stories about sitting at the dinner table with his parents. I clearly never had a conversation in which my father said to me, you know, you need to be the type of black <coughs> man that a, that a white man will accept. That was obviously not a part of my reality. But you know, that generational divide, we all experience that, trying to find, figure out who we are and what our place is in the world. These are things we all go through. And everything else is something that we as people are imposing upon each other. But at heart, you know, human beings are all trying to find our way. We're all trying to find our people. We're all trying to find our happiness. Well, 
I, I, I believe one of the, the drawbacks, I think, and it's not really a problem, is um, when I was visiting Kevin, I had the opportunity to go back uh, to Atlanta and uh, see exactly the location where uh, I practically grew up. Uh, the elementary school that I went to, uh, the site where the orphanage was that I stayed at, uh, the funeral home that my parents were actually buried from. Uh, those are all historical landmarks. And those are the things that, uh, quite honestly, uh, make me really proud uh, to have come from there, uh, despite you know some of the trials and tribulations that I had to go through. And to come here in Pittsburgh and, and, and see some of the things that I would have never been privy to while I stayed in Atlanta because the entire city at that time was segregated. So to come to Pittsburgh and, and, and go to school with uh, someone that didn't look like me or to uh, go to different stores uh, and, and go to restaurants and, and sit at a counter or to get on a bus and, and don't have to be concerned about where you're sitting and things like that. Uh, those are types of things I had to really adjust to. Wow. Well, listen, I appreciate you guys sharing the story. I hope that everyone that has an opportunity to hear this will go out and buy the book, read the book and give our history, our history, American history, a lot more thought, even questioning why don't we know um, the history of certain things. I really applaud you, John, for um, for your story. But Mr. Hazard, you taking the time to actually tell the story is incredible. It's incredible, and I'm grateful. Um, you sharing your story, Mr. Moon, about your childhood. Uh, I think. shapes you and it makes you the man that you've become someone obviously that mr uh, hazard was interested to write about so i enjoy this so much what's next for both of you what's what's next how can we follow and support you um and support the book well right now um one of my goals is to keep this part of history alive uh and um i think we're, we're, we're doing that by uh, visiting various uh, conferences throughout uh, the, you know, the country in various states. Um, but one of the things that concerns me is that old axiom, charity begins at home. So right now, I'm really, really concerned about making sure this part of history is relived right here in the city of Pittsburgh. Uh, to the point where I don't want anyone uh, to ever forget where EMS Foundation arose from because we still have paramedics that work for the city of Pittsburgh right now that have no idea um, about Freedom House. And those are the things that concerns me. So I'm working on a couple of projects uh, with the department as a whole to try to make sure that part of history remains uh, with that department. Mm, awesome, Mr. Hazard. Um, well, I mean, I, right now we're out promoting the book. We'll be all over the place this spring, which is exciting. And, um, I mean, I'm starting work on the next one, but I'm, I'm out there in the world. I'm on 
all the usual social media places. And I'm happy to talk to anyone anytime about the story because it's, it's incredibly important in general and incredibly important to me. A couple things. Uh, you're working on this. <laughs> I'm interested, obviously. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's early days, but uh, it, it takes place in Los Angeles in the 1950s, and uh, it, it exists at the intersection of medicine and crime. I love that. Mm. Um, with all this promotion that's, that's going to be going on, would California happen to be a stop of yours? We'll be in Reno. I think that's right now that's as close as we get. That's Reno. it? That's all we got? Yeah. So far. <laughs> well, Start change. agitating. We'll be there. <laughs> all right. Well, if things change, definitely um, keep us posted. Listen, all of uh, your social medias that we got and ways to purchase the book will be in the captions. Uh, we really appreciate you showing up. I've learned a lot. But even more importantly, I'm still so intrigued. So continuing to, you know, I like learning. I like learning more about how we got to where we are. Um, in various different industries. I'm not even in your industry. And this is, this has, you know, my interest peaked. So I appreciate you telling the story. And Mr. Moon, I appreciate you sharing it with him um, for it to be told. So thank you guys so much. Thank you very much. I really appreciate this opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you. So happy to be here. Take it easy. So listen, guys, make sure you go out, you get the book, American Sirens. Okay. You see that? Where is it at? There you go. Good view right there. Go grab it. Um, it is a page turner. It is definitely worth your time. It's entertaining. It's history. But most importantly, you probably should start questioning why some make sure you dig in. Be curious about the world that we live in and the people around us. And until next time. Hey, thanks for showing up to the podcast where we all know that the best leaders are lifetime learners. When you get a sec, take a moment, leave a comment. What do you think about today's episode? And share it with someone that you know could use the gems that were dropped today. Follow and subscribe. You don't want to miss who's coming up next. You never know who could show up here and what they could say. For your professional needs, marketing, PR, communications, and leadership, make sure you follow us on all social media platforms at Sand and Shores or hit us up at sandandshores.com. Again, thanks so much for showing up. We appreciate you and we'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.